the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Good morning listeners. This is our last week of Best of 2022. In first place, drumroll, is me discussing distal radius fractures and their management. And again, I want to thank you all for taking time and listening to us and making us uh, successful. I hope you enjoyed. We're talking about distal radius fractures and reduction of distal radius fractures. It is a common injury, happens frequently. Actually, it's the most commonly fractured area of the forearm and about 17% of wrist fractures happen at the distal radius. It's more common in women than in men, almost a two to one, not quite. Typically, the patient presents with some degree of wrist deformity. Sometimes you can see where the fracture is displaced and sometimes you can't. They will have swelling, decreased range of motion, obviously pain. One of the most important things to check is their neurovascular status and make sure that if they're having any decreased sensation or loss of motion, no matter what the fracture looks like, whether you think it needs closed reduction or open treatment, you really need to reduce that to take pressure off the nerves. There are multiple classification systems and fracture descriptions, Smith fractures, Collie's fractures, Barton's fractures, die punch. There are also associated soft tissue injuries like the TFCC, the scaphalunate ligaments, the lunate fossa. A lot of different things can happen. Oh, and a radial sideway fracture. What I think is most appropriate, especially for my advanced practice provider colleagues, is that you don't really focus on a classification system. Let your surgeon do that. You need to focus on the description of the anatomy. Where is the fracture? Is it displaced? Is it angulated? Is it intraarticular? Those types of things. I, I think it's better if you focus on that. It makes it easier for everybody to understand what's going on. So you have the history. Typically, it's a patient who fell on outstretched hand, FUSH, F-O-O-S-H, those who work in orthopedics. That's a tried and true acronym for those that don't. It's real common that we use it. Usually it's a FUSH and you see it clinically and you know there's obviously something, but you have to get an x-ray to kind of determine the severity. When you get your x-ray, it's an AP lateral and oblique. And for those that don't know, most decision points on is the fracture stable enough to treat closed or does it need reduction? And in the OR, does it need reduction or is it reduced adequately? You rely on the AP and the lateral, a 90 degree look uh, from the AP. The obliques are rarely used to determine that. They can help so you know the degree of comminution, but your two main x-rays you're looking at are the AP and lateral. The radial inclination, there are three things that you want to measure. The radial inclination, the radial length, which is also called the radial height, and the radial tilt. How do you measure these things? We're going to attempt to describe this without a picture. So if you want to follow along with an AP image of a wrist, that would be helpful. So an AP projection, you draw a straight line through the radius shaft, and then you lay a tangential line on top of it from the radial styloid to the ulnar side of the end of the radius. So it makes an angle between that straight line through the radial shaft and the tangential line. You're kind of laying it along the end of the radius so it, it would naturally be tilted because the radial styloid is typically longer than the ulnar side of the distal radius. 
usually that angle is about 20 or 25 degrees, more or less. If it's less than that, depending on how much less, that's an indication that you need to do something. I'd say of the three things that I'm going to talk about, the next one, the radial length or the radial height is the most important. This is also done in the AP projection. You draw two parallel lines, okay? One is drawn perpendicular to the radial styloid. So if you imagine you're looking at that AP wrist and you see the radial styloid, you draw a line straight across so that line intersects the radial styloid right at the tip. So it's perpendicular to the radial styloid. One perpendicular to the distal ulna. So the two lines are parallel, but they're perpendicular to the shafts of the radial styloid and the distal ulna. Normally, that length or that distance is about 8 to 13, 14, maybe even 15 millimeters. And that's really important that you check that one. After you've done these for a while, you can kind of eyeball it and get an idea, but you really want to check that. This is really common in the distal radius fracture for this line to be shortened or decreased, and it's called radial shortening. This is a very important determinant of function after uh, restoring radial length. So if, if it's significantly shortened, that's a sign that this person needs something more definitive. The last one that I want to talk about is radial tilt. Radial tilt is actually measured on the lateral image. So you got your two looks at the AP and then you got your lateral. What you do is you draw one line parallel to the long axis of the shaft. And the second line is, again, a tangential line that follows the slope of the dorsal and volar surface of the radius. So if you're looking at it laterally, it's almost like a little cup. And sometimes the volar is longer and sometimes the dorsal part is longer. But you measure that and it's typically 10 to 25 degrees. Less than 10 degrees means a dorsal tilt. So that's an important determinant. So keep those three things in mind if you're looking at x-ray classification. We talked about the ways you measure to determine if you need to do a reduction, what next? Well, the guidelines with those things. So can we do a closed reduction with a splint and cast immobilization, i.e. non-operative treatment? Indications for that, there are several, but the big ones are, is it an extra-articular fracture? Intra-articular fractures typically need some sort of augmentation or a strut to kind of keep them in place so they don't shorten and collapse or you reduce the angular deformity or you, you lose the angular deformity. So extra articular fractures, less than five millimeters of radial shortening. Again, that's the radial length. So you're looking at that. Dorsal angulation of less than five degrees or within 20 degrees of the contralateral distal radius. So if you're not sure you can do a contralateral distal radius x-rays, assuming they haven't had a fracture of that arm, you can use that as a guideline for your measurements. Operative indications, and these, again, these are x-ray findings. For a closed reduction of the percutaneous pinning, indications are extra-articular fractures with a stable volar cortex. And typically, in my experience, these are done on pediatrics, where the fracture is unstable or comminuted, but you need something to kind of stabilize it or it's displaced so much you can't really get it back in place by closed reduction manipulating the fractures. So you reduce it under anesthesia and you put a couple of K-wires in there to hold it in place. Now, the other operative open reduction with internal fixation or the other operative situation I'm talking about is if the dorsal angulation is more than five degrees, if there's a significant amount of volar or dorsal comminution. Displaced fractures more than two millimeters or radial shortening greater than five millimeters. And again, the radial shortening, that's one of the biggies. You've got to look at that. Or if there is an associated ulnar fracture, like a both bone forearm fracture, ulnar styloid fractures don't really require
fire fixation, so I wouldn't count it in that. If somebody's severely osteoporotic, if the fracture margins, if there are articular margin fractures, like a Barton's fracture, comminuted or displaced extra-articular fractures, die punch fractures, or if there's a progressive loss of the volar tilt to radial length after you've reduced it and splinted it. So those are all radiographic indications. Now, there are clinical guidelines of a fracture reduction, and, and this is kind of more of your experience. Pediatrics frequently fracture their wrists, and sometimes they do really well in the office, and sometimes they're a little squirrely. And if someone's really squirrely, or if their parents are really squirrely about doing this, then they should probably be done under the bright lights in the operating room. If you think they'll tolerate it, then you can certainly do a pediatric fracture reduction in the office. If someone is on the opposite end of that spectrum, if they're elderly or osteoporotic, will that fracture reduction improve their functional outcome and will it stay reduced? Osteoporotic bone is kind of like butter bone. Sometimes it sits and most of the time it doesn't. It'll settle. It'll shorten the length of the radius. And, you know, long-term outcome, is this person going to need to have full range of motion of their wrist or will they get by with some limited motion? So all those things you got to think about. What is their social situation? What is their normal life like? Another thing you got to think about is neurovascular compromise. Fortunately, knock on wood, I haven't had this many times, but a few times I've had people with Collie's fractures that have median nerve compression. And basically that's not, you know, a hematoma block. It's not, or it's like you're in the finger traps and I'm pulling your arm back out right now, you know, to take pressure off the nerve. And it's, it's kind of an experience thing, but will this fracture do well with or without augmentation or surgery? It's kind of an experience thing. And after you've seen a few of these and you see how they do down the road, you kind of know which ones will do well, which ones don't. As a rule of thumb, comminuted or intraarticular fractures do not do as well functionally if not corrected. That's all I got. And I hope this was informative for you. Listeners, our fourth annual Ortho in the West Conference will be Arthritis to Arthroplasty, February the 17th through the 19th, 2023 in Phoenix, Arizona. The details are on paos.org website. Registration is open.